1: Welcome to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show with your hosts, Ty Braga, Scott Ferrara and Rob Hammershman, who tackle the tough topics relating to Major League Rugby in the US and Canada. This is your premier source of information. You are listening to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Joining me here today, we have, of course, the familiar faces of Rob Hammersmith from Hammer Rugby. Joining him, of course, to be able to try and take the title this time, as he has lost the previous two, that is Scott of your Rooney Supporters Club, and for the first time joining us to be able to see if he can perhaps mount a challenge to take that cup from Rob is Grant Cole, and he is, of course, linked to the Texas uh, Rugby Unions, and of course, of course, Is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to college rugby, and that's why we brought him in here today. But first, we want to be able to talk about what would a major league rugby all-star game look like, and that is why we're here. And to be able to hand it off first, I'm going to give it to uh to Grant to give him his two minutes on his rant, and the floor is yours.
2: Major League All-Star Game, what are you saying, Ty? We already have a Major League Rugby slash Superliga Americana D Rugby All-Star Tournament, a whole six weeks of All-Star Rugby. It's called <laughs> the America's it. Rugby Championship. Representative <laughs> Rugby is All-Star Rugby, full stop.
1: What? Well, what do you say to people who say that they need to be able to provide an additional platform to showcase the best talent that we have here at home right now? Um, When you're looking at the uh, major league rugby all-star thing in the fan zone group, there's conversations about East versus West. Is it a top 15? What do you think?
2: It's just not going to happen. The owners already don't like to give their players out to the national teams for fear of injury. I mean, we've seen this all over the world, club versus country. It's going to be writ large here as our profit margins are going to be demanded to be greater than anywhere overseas. So I just don't think it's something that's going to happen here.
1: All right. You know what? I appreciate that. Scott, what do you think? Um
3: well assuming that it does happen here I think you can go with a bunch of formats. So you could do your East versus West, you could do your World versus North America. Um I think that the the biggest thing is is as we saw in the in this this early in this faded season they wanted to have the um the fan experience in Vegas and obviously that didn't work turn out too well. So I'm thinking 2 weeks after the shield is given out you have this all-star match somewhere, you know, mid, mid in the country, maybe in a market that they're looking to get an MLR team into, um, mm-hmm. and you do something like again, East versus West, North America versus World. I kind of like um, you do. You have your, your 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 top fifteen, and then your second level fifteen, and you do the 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 first side uh, forwards with the second-side backs versus the second-side forwards with the first-side backs based on the league voting. Um, that's how I would do it. Uh, I think that's a little more fun. I think there's some camaraderie in it. I mean, there's multiple ways you could do it. You could do touch rugby on the beach. I mean, they used to do that for the NFL Pro Bowls way back when. Um, I think it's something that maybe that type of thing where they do just do touch, you know, seven-on-seven, seven mitigates that injury factor that those owners are taking as a liability.
1: Right. You bring up an important point there is that are they going to that risk these guys that are looking to be able to go on to play for the U.S., uh, Canada, you know, they've got obligations following the season, the regular season with MLR. I mean, are they really interested in being able to play an additional game outside of the regular season? Rob, what do you got a thought about that? And perhaps you can give us an idea of what you think.
4: Yeah, I, I love the idea. Um, and... and it- you know, Grant's, Grant's right. I mean, the motivating factor may not be there for the league or for the individual owners. Although I got to tell you, something says that there's enough investment for overseas investors that they could be motivated if uh, you picked a, an MLR All-Star 23 and brought in one of those teams from overseas that already has some investment in the league. So uh, that could generate a lot of interest uh, from a marketing element. On the other end, both at, you know, in that respective club's uh, country, whether it, I think it's is they were talking about connect. I think on some of the social media platforms, but you mm-hmm. know, uh, there was a lot of interest from overseas uh, in New Zealand in the uh, Mako game. Uh, yep, they played Jasmine in Houston. Mata, yeah. They played in Seattle. I uh, they had um, I think we had a huge following. I don't know what the numbers were. I and I maybe Ty, you had those uh, several. Well, there were twelve
1: thousand people watching that game from New Zealand. Uh, and that's a lot to be able to consider when you think about the time difference between you know, us and the other side of the world. Um, so you bring up a great point there. So what I think you're trying to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it has an incredible marketing value that cannot be ignored. To be able to take essentially what is the brand product packaged in one game says this is the MLR, the best of the best on one field either competing in an East or West and West format, or maybe a top 23, whatever format it may be. But this is really what your product is that you're packaging and essentially selling to the rest of the world, whether it be an international market or be to new markets that could eventually host an expansion team in the U S and think about this. Maybe it's not an all-star game. That's, you know,
3: inter MLR, maybe it's an MLR barbarian side that goes to Europe and plays like Mako came here. So right. I, mean, I don't think you have to limit it to just
1: inter-squad MLR play. Right. You know, you bring up a good point there. You mentioned the barbarians. Now, for those that aren't necessarily familiar, the traditional format elsewhere in the world when it comes to rugby is that you will have a barbarian style a composition of some of the greatest players uh, in and around different leagues, maybe in, within the same league, and they come together in one unit to be able to play other nations or other teams. So really it's kind of the same thing. Um, but an all-star uh, team format. Um, if you look at it, when uh, you have an American sports culture, it's usually within the same league, and it's usually against conference to conference. Or so is that perhaps an easier format to adopt? So that you know, it's got it's got, a, it's got a blueprint of what makes it work already.
3: I mean, it's definitely an easier format to adopt. But as we've seen in the other professional sports in America, that uh, the way of doing that kind of gets dull really quickly. And now even in the the, uh, NFL, in the pro bowl, you have team captains and they pick it gym class style where they're like, I'm going to take this guy. I'm going to take that guy. you know, this, that, and the other thing. So I think do it, try it in one format. And if it doesn't work out next year, we could try it some in a different format. It's it's
1: we can mold it. Right. Well, I've got a couple of questions that I jotted down, which I think would get to the crux of the important points that I wanted to convey or at least the, uh, the important questions to get the right answers. And the first thing was, how would it work? So I'm going to go around the table here, and if you had to pick a format, whether it be East or West, Top 23, Touring side, uh, whatever it may be, give me what your thoughts would be, Grant.
2: I'm still going to be boring, man, and say it's the format we got, the format it should be. I am, you know... For the last ten years, when I've been talking about professional rugby in the U.S., I've said over and over and over: when you get it, it's not going to be what you like because the owners are going to dictate what it is.
1: Mm -hmm. All right, I see. And if
2: if it doesn't make sense to the owners, and one of the things that's be very difficult about a all star game in you know in major league rugby is the players are all employees of the league that are contracted to the teams.
1: And this is actually another point that I wanted to bring up. Sorry to interrupt you. It's all right. You know, it does, it does broach the topic of, I mean, is this a, a game outside the regular season? How do they get paid? Is it under contract? You know, these are all elements that of course could present themselves as problems along the way. I mean, I know it has in, in previous years across the U.S. and other sporting climates as well. So maybe there are some lessons to learn from from there.
2: But I think, I think one thing we're missing out on here, and, and this is a bit off topic, but, I mean, it also goes with what we're talking about, is one of the things we'll see going forward, and not this year, obviously, and probably not 2021, but going into 2023 and forward, we're going to probably see a playoff match between the number one MLR team and the number one SLAR team.
1: Right, and that's a very interesting prospect. I know, Scott, you've uh, been an advocate of that uh, growing league and, of course, including other nations from South America. Do you want to jump on that one and and share a few thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so if we go that route,
3: and, well, first, to to Grant's point about the the owners, obviously the owners are going to make the decisions on all this. We know that as insiders, we know that. Maybe the public at large doesn't understand that. Um, But growing the league is – in a way where we can have the SLAR come in and, and cross over with the MLR, I think would be perfect. Um, I also think we can expand into other areas that are untapped, you know, the island nations right now. You know, I, I don't think it's beyond if, – if MLR were to grow, I don't think it's beyond, you know, a Rooney team to go down to the Bahamas and play a Bahamas team in the MLR. So, I mean, I think there's endless possibilities for it. But as Grant said, I think we have to stay the course and, and have that boring – quote unquote, as Grant said, structure until we are
1: marketable, more marketable and viable. Well, and, and isn't that a part of the tool is to be able to create a, an opportunity for growth and to take it to other markets, markets and present that package? I mean, what do you think? To, so to ever, to since ever,
2: ever since August of 2016, when the uh, original co-founders of the MLR gathered in Houston to talk about what they were going to do to go forward. This was a part of the plan that the MLR and the SLAR, whatever it would be at at time, were going to have uh, championship matches between each other for a hemisphere championship. Uh-huh. And, that it, and that they were going to use the America's Rugby uh, Championship as their basic all-star showcase. Because okay. what it would be is it would be the, you know, when you're looking at the SLAR, Brazil, Uruguay, and Chile all have one team in the SLAR and that team is basically going to be their their national team. Right. So when when they you know if you get that coming up that's that's what you're playing.
1: Well, you could see a model like that with the uh, the uh, Jaguars uh, from the Super Rugby format, you can see that with Toronto from the MLR. Uh, yes. so they're they're great, you know, platforms to be able to build a, a structure that will eventually elevate them to having a better national team. So I 100% agree there. And uh, they've stayed true to that in many regards, so that makes sense.
4: Rob, what did you have to say? So I, here's the thing: uh, ultimately, you F forty five, you know, which is uh, the business end of the Gilgronies, uh, you know, right. uh, tandem. Gilchrist, yeah, where Gilcrest right? Um, they own they own two teams, two franchises, mm-hmm. or and then with LA, they're going to own a third, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to carry some a, a bit of weight um, in the MLR. And, and here's why I say yeah. this: they have a vested interest to bring this brand of rugby and expose it to an already rugby playing community and culture uh-huh. in Australia. Right. So there, there's an, a, there's an interest there. Um, one of the other things, and, and, and I, I like the America's rugby championship, don't be wrong. One of my biggest complaints right now is the platform in which it's shown. Um, I'm not a fan of flow. Um,
2: yeah, it costs $30, uh,
4: for, for a month. You gotta, if you want to bring that price down, you gotta pay for it for the year. And quite frankly, um, they don't do that good a job at production. Um, and, uh, it's really, um, I just think the product is, is far inferior to what the MLR is going with its broadcaster with its broadcasters. So I, I guess my, my point is, is that if the USA rugby is involved it, right now, as it stands, it's going to go, the, the broadcasting is going to go flow, and and that doesn't, I don't think that helps the MLR. I think the MLR would right. be better off engaging in some kind of club championship independent of USA Rugby um, outside of those international windows and, uh, you know, controlling uh, their marketing, controlling their message, controlling their game, controlling, how you know, how the rest of the world sees uh, America's pro-level rugby. Right. Well, well and, and we'll the- see
2: that happen. I mean, the MLR doesn't need USA Rugby for anything nope. but referees. That's
4: right. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And 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 very soon, very soon, you will see it, it, as some people die out or are moved out of that situation, you will see that change as well. And the MLR referees will become the MLR referees because they're just not getting the benefit that they that they should get. as referees from from being part of the uh, USA rugby structure.
1: Now, one thing I wanted to be able to return to for our fans that have been looking and talking about the prospect of Major League Rugby introducing an all-star game. One of the important points that they had felt when looking at the Major League Rugby fan zone group, when you look at the chatter, is that it would be an incredible tool to be able to showcase rugby at its highest level in the U.S., to areas where they want to expand.
2: Well, it's just like 7s in that respect. It's very uh, you'll you'll make money, a little bit of money at the uh, at the event, but it'll end up being more expensive logistically than it is than the money it makes. And and for the MLR, remember, this isn't a uh nonprofit organization. This is a title 15 commercial enterprise. They have to make a profit and they have to make sure these, they have revenue streams coming in. And if they don't see the revenue streams from an all-star tour like that or anything else, such as what they've already had happen in Las Vegas this year, then they're just, that's just not something they're going to do.
1: Right. Well, they can not afford to make so many expensive mistakes. I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. Scott, did you want to jump in there? And
3: it's funny, you know, from speaking to fans that went to Vegas, I was... All
2: five of them?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, two of them are Rooney fans that were there for for both matches. Um, But they were so underwhelmed by the involvement of MLR themselves because they felt if you have Rooney has to be there for two weeks, so Rooney has to set up their guys in a, a hotel. They have to make sure they're training, do this and do that. They feel it shouldn't fall on the team to create the camaraderie of a fan zone a fan uh, base to have this party there it should have been the MLR taking the lead so that way the teams don't feel the anxiety of now I gotta do this two weeks away from our home area with the logistics of it we can only bring certain guys and now we gotta deal with the fans on top of that and I think MLR should have taken more of an active role in creating things whether it was two-for-one tickets or you know meet and greets or you know a pool party or you know something that took the onus off the clubs themselves.
1: Right. Well, you know, guys, I think that we uh, took the time that it deserved to be able to talk about this topic. And as it stands, I think that I can probably say, from Grant's point of view, there is the right format already. Stayed to the course. No need for flashy MLR all-star games. Scott, in favor, not in favor. If you did, what would you say? Say I'd be in
3: favor for it. I think it's about the the marketability of the sport to say hey we're having you know the championship in San Diego we know the nice weather's there um uh, we don't just want the the top fans from each team there we want fans from every team there to enjoy the championship weekend so maybe it's one of those where you fold it into the championship weekend and say hey you know come out watch the championship and your ticket also goes to this Touch 7s tournament between you know the the top you know 14 oh. players that that we selected
4: Right. Excellent point there. Rob, finish it up. Uh, I like it. I like the idea. Um, I think it would be great to do it um, if you had an all-star team across the MLR and they play, uh, like I said, a team against uh, like the Mako or something of that nature to try to really draw in uh, those those fans that are tried and true rugby fans that know a lot about the game from overseas
1: Hey rugby fans, This is Ty Braga from the MLR Rant Podcast Show. A quick question to you out there, want to be able to grow your business? Well, you can do that by advertising free with the MLR Rant Podcast Show and here's how you can do it. Step one, simply contact us to find out more, we'll share all the options available. Step two, choose a package that works for you. Step three, get it for free. That's right, we're going to give away a free episode with every sponsorship package. So let us know by contacting us at the MLR Rant Podcast Show. Now, I want everybody to be able to understand that currently there are about 900 college teams for the men's and about 600 for the women's. However, the key difference between the two is that only the women's game is currently under the governorship of NCAA. That means that, of course, rugby for the men's side falls under USA Rugby. Um, a couple of the points that I why I brought that up, and I know that we had spoken about this off camera before the podcast with Grant, who is a great wealth of knowledge in this area. In fact, I think it'll probably be the perfect time to be able to hand it over to you, Grant. So take the floor. What are your thoughts about the state of college rugby?
2: Well, for one thing, take everything you know and put it over to the side because everything in college rugby is changing. Right. Okay, Everything. NSCRO is putting up, uh, has already signed on numerous new D2 conferences that have come in from the D1AA and the D2 uh, group. Uh, they've appointed a new D2 commissioner, a guy who used to be a coach at Quinnipiac, and also uh, where did he coach at in New York somewhere? I can't remember, but I'll, it'll come to me. Uh, but he, but he's coming in to be the D2 commissioner specifically and the small college commissioner will be doing what they do there. And I think that's Jeremy Treese right now. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's where that's changing and the Mm -hmm. changes aren't done.
1: Right. And just to be able to come back to your point about changes. So the most recent and significant change before now, what you're talking about is about to take place was in 2011 when they had split the divisions again. And I believe from my research it had meant that 31 teams had fallen into D1 rugby under that structure, but then two years later it suddenly had been restructured again. So is this a common thread in college rugby in the U.S. that there's always restructuring the divisions?
2: No, it's been a common thread since uh, Nigel Melville siloed all of the divisions of rugby in America. And we went away from having everything in the local area unions and the territorial unions and went off to having silos. Colleges were left in in the land. Right. They were just out there in Neverland, had to figure out what to do for themselves. There was no, there's no real collegiate way of doing things. USA Rugby didn't really know how to deal with collegiates because dealing with any of the uh, any of the sports club people or the rec sports people at universities, they just don't want to deal with college rugby any more than they have to because that's a liability. It's not an asset to the university, and it's not something that just keeps people that just keeps kids getting their energy out. It is a way of doing that that gets them hurt and that right. costs the university money and puts them and makes them liable for a lot of things and so that is that is a problem there especially since they're not in a varsity status. We have what six to eight teams in America that are in varsity status, true varsity status or near yeah. varsity status of some sort and even the top team in the nation even though they play or, or fall under their their varsity section in their university and have for a hundred years, they're not completely a varsity club.
1: So you're saying that college rugby is more seen as like a club sport to these colleges than varsity? It is
2: a club sport to these colleges. To 900 colleges out there, it's a club sport. To a handful of colleges out there, it's a varsity sport in so much as it increases enrollment. It brings money into the university.
1: Okay, absolutely. I mean, those are key points.
2: Yeah, and your and your exceptions to that are Annapolis, West Point, Cal, Saint Mary's. Wow. I mean those those colleges they've been there for a long time. They don't need the money coming in. They're from, right. they're presti they're prestigious universities. They've got the students coming in the way they're coming in anyway, and that's not going to change. But that's not why their their rugby teams are there. You start seeing these upstarts come up. And these smaller colleges starting up and getting a rugby team in varsity, and that's all well and good. It's great for rugby, but what's really happening there? You have to really take a close look at what's happening there and why the university is doing this.
1: Excellent. Well, I think we're going to take uh, that two minutes plus the 10 that you had and hand it over to Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you know what? No, it was a good It was a good base for great uh, Yeah, very and Scott, good. And Scott, I mean, I want you to be able to take time to add to that. So go ahead,
3: Matt. And I like I like what Grant was talking about. Uh, I I have a unique perspective on collegiate rugby, um, that a lot of people who are, weren't in the sport or just a, a casual fan, you know, you I played at UMass Dartmouth. We were a Division four team. We had no funding. I believe I was I was vice president for many years. We got two hundred dollars each semester from the the school. And that pretty much just went towards, you know, referee fees, pretty much. Um, you know, we would have to pile people in a, in a pickup truck and bring them to the hospital and hope your parents have good insurance if you got hurt, <laughs> things like that. And because the school allowed us to use a field, we just kind of had a, a gentleman's or, you know, madam's agreement um, because we did have a woman's team. Um, we wouldn't sue the college if somebody got seriously hurt. And, you know, it, 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 is it the best way to do things? No. But it did get us playing rugby. It did get us interested in rugby. And I think the lack of organization that USA Rugby had with the old divisions um, and now um, Enscro coming in and kind of consolidating everything and having what looks to be a good top-down effect of of how they want to do it um, with more structure I think is going to be the the thing that pushes collegiate rugby back to what it should be. Um, It it will make it safer. It will make it – more accessible. Um, And I think it's, it's, you know, for me, it was like, you know, I went, I played, I learned the game, I had some fun. And I think for most guys who aren't going to play at the top level, that's what they're looking for. And they shouldn't have to have the liability of, you know, again, going to their parents insurance, especially in these, these trying times to, to just not have the anxiety that something might happen, you know? So I think, um, while the state of rugby is kind of in chaos, like Grant said, I think it's moving in the right direction to, to
4: overall have a better development of, of the, the game. So uh, the state of college rugby, it's like the wild West uh, right now. Um, you know, with us, with, with a lack of, uh, of a rudder by USAR, um, I think we're seeing a lot of shifting in, in patterns and, and Grant talked about uh, the conferences that have jumped and just, just since uh April 16th, we've seen the new Allegheny Conference go to Nescro. We've seen the Midwest College Rugby Conference go to Nescro. The Upstate New York Conference go to Nesco. The Mid-Atlantic uh, Conference go to Nescro. So we're seeing a lot of teams jump into that situation, as you said, that it looks to be like it's a more structured environment, going to provide a better platform for those schools to play within, uh, you know, it's it's under the guise of USA Rugby, but they're controlling their own destiny. Here's the, th- here's the thing that's interesting. Could more and more clubs begin to benefit from a more cohesive college atmosphere? For example, we're seeing that um, FTF for the fans is now broadcasting a lot of college rugby. You know, uh, U of I and LU, that game, even though it was a lopsided affair, um, uh, the, it was on FTF. There are some broadcasting uh, rights and broadcasting opportunities that have the potential for income. Uh, ESPN is showing a lot of the Liberty Conference on it, uh, or ESPN Plus. So there's a lot of opportunity there, um, and and I think almost it would be nice to see USAR get out of the way and uh, somebody take the reins and provide a, a steady rudder uh, for college rugby uh, that would allow the, for the game to grow and allow for any. Anybody who wants to play to find a place to play, grow, and develop as a player.
2: I wish I could. I'm
4: just going to interrupt for a moment to be able to keep it on track.
1: All of you have failed dismally in your two minute warning. So all get a yellow card.
2: <laughs> you might as well give me a red card on that case. I got the
3: first one last week.
2: And Ty, you need you get a red card for that poor excuse for a yellow card. You need a real yellow card. <laughs> I
1: know. I'm gonna tell
2: I know. Gilligan, I'm gonna well, tell Gilligan you know, to get you a yellow card, okay? Clark,
1: you know how it goes. It's all about budget. Okay.
2: So <laughs> i mean, Gilligan's not refereeing right now. He can get you a yellow card. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> gosh you know guys one of the important points you've obviously touched on a lot of great things but rugby now in at a college level needs to be find that structure it needs to be more cohesive these are the points that you all have said and i'll echo it one more time because now it's in a position that it is firmly set to be a pathway to professional rugby in the u.s with the mlr draft, which could be debated but this is how it stands for now whether it's successful or not to come is still going to be a big question mark, right? So what needs to happen, you know, it's for, the, for in order for that pathway to actually be designed and make its way there? Not that we're going to touch on the uh, the, uh, the the MLR draft too much, but I can see that Grant is pretty yeah. – yeah? So He's got go. something to say, I think.
2: So um... – MLR draft, what's it about? I mean, why why does MLR want to go after college rugby when college rugby obviously can't develop as many players as they need. But right. the MLR, but the college rugby can do something that nothing else can do in America, and it can bring students in from abroad. And uh-huh. we can bring in South American, South African, New Zealanders, Polynesians. We can do the same thing in college rugby in America that New Zealand does in its high school system with the Polynesian athletes. We can right. bring them in, get them in here three, four, five year schools, and now they are now they've got residency. Now they've got a green card. Now they can play in the MLR. That's and, exactly. and the MLR doesn't have to put out twenty yeah. to sixty thousand dollars for a visa for them.
1: Right. Well, I mean it's interesting you bring up that point because I'm sure many of our viewers will also remember that the 2019 Japan Rugby World Cup team had about 26 of their players from not born. Uh, uh, Nationals of Japan.
2: So, so what? What do you think happens there? They bring these guys in from overseas, get them into their university system, get them into their academy system, and then by the time they've got residency, they can play on the national team.
1: Right, and that's a key difference that we've kind of echoed through some of the uh, the previous uh, episodes is that there is a clear distinction, and people really need to understand that. Being a U.S. player doesn't have to mean you were born and raised in America.
4: It means that you need to be eligible to play for the country. Yep. He, here's the thing that has to be critical. Whatever structure is established, if it's under some independent auspices uh, of collegiate rugby, whether it's NESCRO or something else, they have got to work with um, the International Rugby Board. They've got to work with, uh, obviously, the State Department. And they've got it's to the make sure...
2: Rugby board. <laughs> IRBs. What is that? There's no yeah. International Rugby Board.
4: World Rugby.
3: Okay. But, uh, that's yeah. <laughs> that definitely did it, Rob, but, you know. Yeah,
2: well. it's <laughs> a and yellow cardable offense.
1: <laughs> Probably.
2: This is like, you know what
1: this is, Rob, <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is the loudmouth, cheeky, like, scrum half yeah. on the
4: field. <laughs> He's not built oh, okay. like a scrum half, <laughs> though. When was the last
3: time yeah. Grant was scrum half yeah. side?
1: <laughs>
2: But nevertheless, uh, nine years old. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, great! Right. I like it. I like it.
2: Go ahead, Rob. Sorry.
4: No, no. It, it, nevertheless, I think uh, what's important is that um, whoever's involved has allowed these young players to understand. Um, what it's going to take in order to be an American, uh, become an American right. citizen, to become in that player pool, because I know firsthand um, that uh, easily uh, that a simple mistake, accepting money, um, uh, uh, going overseas, back home, uh, can easily erase any potential uh, to be in that player pool and reignite or reassert. Um, they need to start that process over again in order to be in a USA uh, rugby player pool.
2: That probably has, it's probably a good reason why four, five or six of the MLR teams currently have high, high level immigration attorneys as their, as junior partners.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. That's a fair point. So now let's step away from, from the MLR draft and it's, it's significant role in uh, college rugby right now. And I want to be able to talk about, and we touched it a little bit earlier, that with it being a varsity program only in a very small percentage and them having to be able to be responsible to it and pouring money into it, how many colleges actually participate in scholarship programs for rugby players? I believe from my research, it was somewhere in the ballpark of about 30. Uh, Grant, did you have something you could add to that? 48. 48. So I was 48, forty, 40,
2: 40, 40 <laughs> 48 men's clubs have some sort of scholarship uh, whether it's just five hundred dollars a semester from the old boys, right. or, or, or whether it's a full blown or, or near full blown scholarship, or some kind of help whatsoever, their own record: they're forty eight at the last at the last count, and that was uh, summer last year.
1: Okay. One short, simple thought: What is the state of college rugby, and what does it do need to do to become better?
2: As Rod's, Rob said, the Wild Wild West, uh, it's a lot of things are changing. What does it take to do better? It needs to understand its constituency. If It doesn't understand its constituency, and that is the students who play the game for them. That's the okay. product on the field. If, they, if, if the organization does not understand its constituency, it will not survive.
1: Right. So is it a matter of supporting them financially, all of those things that we've spoken about with the infrastructure, the coaching,
2: A lot of different answers to those questions. And uh, Mm -hmm. the trick is knowing what the uh, university wants as well as knowing what the students want. And in the end, the students are going to be the ones paying to play. So that's where the money is really going to come from unless you have a good alumni base.
1: Excellent. Good point. Scott, let's hand it to you. I think the state of collegiate rugby
3: is in flux, but I do think it's headed in the right direction. Slowly but surely um, with NSCRO and – seeing that somebody's there, there's an organization vocal about taking up the leadership and the responsibility of it uh-huh. uh, versus what we're seeing now with the USAR. And they're just kind of like, you know, well, well we're going to figure it out at some point. And is coming in and saying, we're going to, have an actionable plan, and they're telling you what that is.
1: Right. Somebody's taking ownership in the role there. Excellent to be able to see.
2: I'm sorry. We've said a lot about NSCRO, but we haven't been talking about CRAA, which is what D1A's rugby is becoming. We, we can't okay. leave them out because they're doing just exactly what Scott said needs to be done. They're providing that mm-hmm. leadership. They're trying to go that extra mile. They're trying to be a, a, a thing bigger than what they are, than what they have been.
3: Absolutely. I think we're just talking NSCRO because everybody should be familiar with it because it has been in, you know, they've been in the news lately. But you're absolutely correct. Both organizations are doing more to be vocal supporters of what they want to do. And they are telling you, we are going to try this and do it this way. And I think just having the uh, anxiety levels kind of go down a little bit of collegiate rugby players, knowing that there is a captain at the helm, so to speak, of this
4: um, is a good direction we're going in. Right. Rob, we'll hand it over to you for a few thoughts there. Uh, I want to take it to, to somewhere else. Once they've got that steady rudder, both um, from NSCRO and uh, the uh, D1A, um, they they can really begin to work with uh, platforms to broadcasting, right? now, Now the fact is, is that look at Look at, and Grant mentioned it, look at who you're marketing towards, college students. How do they watch things? They watch it on their mobile device, okay, or they watch it on their laptop. You don't need to be glued to a TV. So those two organizations should really go after broadcasting rights, and they've started to do that with FTF, and they started to do that with ESPN Plus, and I think that they really push those two pieces. And by the way, FTF is free uh, ESPN plus is $5. You know, there's a real attraction there for a college, uh, college kid who might want to look at another sport who's playing rugby or wants to show rugby off to his friends. Uh, and I think there's marketability there and an opportunity to bring more money into D1A rugby and bring more money into unscrow. So overall, the theme is that there's a better form of structure coming in a little bit more guidance. And
1: of course, a couple of unions taking ownership in those important roles of leadership. But ultimately, there's a bright future ahead, and uh, we hope to be able to see more great things from college rugby as it becomes a little bit more uh, stabilized and finds its feet in the U.S. uh, market. And ultimately, it's a great breeding ground for wonderful talents that deserve an opportunity uh, to be given the platform to, to reach even greater levels in U.S. rugby. So for all of our viewers back home, I think it's been an educating experience to be able to learn about this. I myself have definitely coming from outside of the U S it's been an educational experience for me. And I'd like to be able to take this opportunity one more time to be able to thank Grant Cole for joining us for our major league rugby rant podcast. But it is that time to figure out who is our winner. And I think today even though he is cheeky as hell, I'm going to hand the cup over to Grant.
4: <laughs> I feel
1: that he has, uh, has a firm grasp on, on what he needed to say and then what he felt everybody else needed to say.
2: Um <laughs> uh, tie has uh, me figured out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's been a great fun all around. Grant, you've been a wonderful sport. You obviously are uh, very passionate about rugby, and it's because of people like you. We do what we do because we love it. You know, rugby culture is all about the passion, all about sharing it. And, again, that's why we have this podcast. So for myself and the team, of course, that's Rob Hammerschmidt. you got Scott, the big guy from the Rooney Supporters Club. Myself, Ty Braga from the Major League Rugby Fan Zone. Let's sign off, and we'll see you for next week's episode. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hey rugby fans, this is Ty Braga from the MLR Rant Podcast Show. A quick question to you out there, want to be able to grow your business? Well, you can do that by advertising free with the MLR Rant Podcast Show and here's how you can do it. Step one, you simply contact us to find out more. We'll share all the options available. Step two, choose the package that works for you. Step three. Get it for free. That's right. We're going to give away a free episode with every sponsorship package. So let us know by contacting us at the MLR Rant Podcast Show. Welcome back, Major League Rugby Rant fans. We're here with one special rugby player in our player interview, our second one that we're doing, in fact. This time, we're taking a deeper look into college rugby and some of the standout players that are in that scene. We have one of them right here. Patrick Madden. Now, Patrick, you have a phenomenal background, although it be what may be considered as a short career, has already been quite a prosperous one for you. I mean, your career really kind of made a huge step forward when you took that role more seriously as a rugby player at age 15, where you had joined the Eagles Impact Rugby Academy, and I'm sure that laid the foundation for all of the great things to come but I want our viewers to be able to recognize some of the great achievements and notable uh, marks of in your career, is that you have not only received the award for the greatest rugby player at high school level in the country with the Mark Lone Medal, but you are now also, having come through the USA to under-20s, find yourself in a position to also be the number one rugby player at college level in the country as a finalist for the Rudy Schultz Award. I mean, this is quite a a rugby resume at a young age, my friend. Um, So we're gonna dig a little bit deeper now that everybody understands the context of why you're here and uh, why you're our interviewee for today. So to be able to take over the interview, I'm going to introduce Rob. Rob's gonna take you through how this works.
4: Rob, the floor is yours, my friend. Okay, Patrick, our game for you in this interview is, and and this should be uh, easy for you as a back, run, pass, or kick. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we're going to start you off easy on run, pass, or kick. Who is your favorite player internationally, and who is your favorite player in the Major League Rugby?
5: Uh, Internationally, you know, I've always been a big fan of Damian McKenzie. Um, I always appreciate the guy that could smile through anything. I mean, the smiling assassin, you got to love him um but it's also because of stature i mean he's not a big guy what he's five ten on a good day and 175 pounds soaking wet but he plays like he's huge um so as a player that's not as big myself um to see someone that just doesn't really matter as if, when you're on the field uh, guys fall the same you do the same things as long as you're playing hard so i'd have to give the dame in there and then probably in mlr favorite player i mean from san diego i love the legion um but I think. It's okay. That it one's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite – I don't think it would even be a player. It would probably be a coach. I love Zach Tess. I love what he does at the Legion. Um, I grew up watching that him play sevens. He's my all-time favorite sevens, Eagle. Um, I think is amazing and just as a human, I mean, what a guy. So I'd probably get the Zach one.
4: So we know who you like to watch now. Uh, pick the best rugby player of the past decade.
5: Oof, all right, I'll I'll run with this one. Um I mean the best is, is a big question. Um as a 10, I'm I'm a fan of Dan Carter. I've always I think Dan Carter's the the man and kind of what he's doing, especially if talking to him come to that MLR would be something special. Um so I think past decade I would give it to Daniel.
4: So uh, <laughs> we're gonna amp it up a little bit, bring it back to the MLR again, run pass or kick. Uh, and, and I think I know who you're going to say in this <laughs> one. Uh, But um, if the 2020 season were to play it, were to have been able to play itself out, already who would knows. have won the shield this year?
5: Oh, I'm definitely running with this one. Let's let's be honest. But, I mean, <laughs> do I have to say it? The San Diego Leasers, come on. Oh, they bro. were firing on all cylinders with Rob ever, the coaches, coaching staff, down to every single player on that squad. They looked amazing. It would have been very shocking to me if they didn't win.
1: Yeah. After your previous question with the setup, like, you know, choosing
4: a San Diego, (laughs) like like you you couldn't have chosen anything else.
5: It it would have been hard. You know, I love my San Diego boys. Uh,
4: All right. So um, while we're talking about major league rugby and while we're talking about the San Diego Legion, here's the challenge. Uh, You're almost at the end of your collegiate career. Uh, Let's say you're out of college and now you're looking to play at the next level. Uh, The question is, would you rather sit on the bench uh, for the Legion, or would you rather be that key a key player in on back in their uh, in their first side? You know, I th-
5: I think I know my answer and what I want to do, but I'm actually going to kick it back to you, Rob. I want to hear what what you guys recommend for a kid coming out of college. What do you guys think?
1: <laughs> I think first of all, well played, uh, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Expertly offended. yeah That's a ten. Decision maker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if it's being kicked back to me, uh, any any great player wants to play against the greatest possible opposition and play with the greatest possible teammates they can. Uh, And so you always, great players always want to have the next challenge. Um, And so I would say you'd want to play for San Diego, learn how to develop, learn how to uh, become that critical number 10 for the Legion. It might take a year, it might take two years, or it might happen within a season. Uh, but I'm, ve- I'm, i venture to guess that you'd want to be in, in that side and learning and playing with the best. And uh, who knows, <laughs>
3: maybe, DC, maybe DC signs with San Diego and now you're, you're his backup. Imagine that.
4: Oh, geez, so that
5: <laughs> I mean, Joe Peterson is someone that I could yeah. as a 10. I mean, I remember watching him and just the boot, how many kicks he missed that first season. He, uh, a handful. I mean, yeah, what a, extreme. what a player. I mean, he's just to be under any of those guys and kind of the team that formed there with coaching staff, uh, with Rob, Zach, all those players and coaches. I mean, how couldn't you learn? How couldn't you just work to be better in those uh, with that group of boys and, um, down the line, I think it's an amazing club. And of course there's some bias there, but I think it would be an honor even to watch the jerseys for those guys. So
4: <laughs> Well, Rob, you got that one right then. <laughs> I don't think that was hard to figure out. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're content with the idea of the MLR. And, and uh, a big question, I think, for a lot of folks out there, especially for players like yourself, high-level players and high-level uh, programs. Um, what was your reaction uh, when hearing that the MLR would her- host its first ever draft in June? And again, run, pass, or kick on this one.
5: Um, I'll run with it. Uh, it was shocking. I didn't believe it for a while. I I waited until there were a couple more press releases on it. Um, but it's amazing. I mean, you're going to get both sides of the conversation, whether people think it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's furthering and developing rugby in the U S and the way you have to do that is you have to get people to view it. And it, it sucks that we have to get to a point where we're striving to get fans in, but that's where we're on. We're rebuilding. It's a new, um, it's a new league. So I think the draft will get more eyes on the league itself, especially coming off of COVID-19 where money and kind of financial backings are maybe a bit shaky here. I think it's a good opportunity to sign some college players who are eager just to be on the field and kind of be a professional rugby player for maybe less money rather than the international players coming um, from overseas.
4: Cool. So talk a little bit about Cal Poly's program. Uh, is it one of those programs you feel that it that it has prepared you well uh, in terms of the technical coaching, the highly competitive schedule, and the daily training environment to then progress to the next level being the MLR?
5: I'll run with this one, I feel like. <laughs> but I think it has. I mean, with our coaching staff, Coach James Tesserea is an amazing coach um, from Australia. Uh he really focuses on the fundamentals and making sure and taking the time for individual players to get better. So he'll cut film of me individually so we can go over it together. Um, and I think being able to like recognize your strengths and weaknesses and seeing back on tape is a big, uh, big part of advancing. Um, but of course, I'm not going to say we have the same, uh, the weight room abilities like a cow or a life or a Linwood and have the opportunities to really uh, get the backing from our university itself. Is, although I love uh, Cal Poly as a university, they don't necessarily necessarily support us as much as we hope they would.
4: Yeah, um, and and that's an interesting component, right, to the draft is, you know, the differences between even D one A. You guys, I think, were ranked uh, by the end of it uh, twenty three, is yeah. that right? Um, and you know that's a, an incredible, uh, incredibly respectable program. Uh, and yet you're even acknowledging that there are some distinctions between uh, the various programs that are out there from number one to 25.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have the, the group of universities who do have that backing from the schools and it does make that difference. The fact that some of these colleges and these players can get in the weight room a couple times a week as a team working out together It just shows the progression because you're going to get a lot of uh, players coming in this college draft who didn't never had to go through those kind of rigorous camps and stuff like that. Luckily, we have our own winter camps where we go um, halfway through winter break and get all the guys together and just stay with each other and train for a week. Um, And luckily, I've had the experience through these high-level camps, uh, USA uh, development camps and stuff like that, where I've had that experience personally. But a lot of these players haven't had that yet, just due to the, I guess. support from the university, if it's there or not.
4: And and I want to talk a little bit about that. You've had a lot of contact um, with other players, uh, particularly players that are up for the Rudy Schultz Award, just like yourself. Uh, as as you've played, have you talked to any of those guys or guys on your teams or guys that you keep in contact that are playing for other high-level programs? Um, would they prefer to enter the draft, uh, or do you think they'd prefer just to do as, as the – the league has done over the last two years and college players would just enter as free agents to negotiate freely with any team they want.
5: I'll run with this one. Um, Yeah. I I think we all talk a lot. I mean, you have your set of group of guys and when you play teams, you recognize whether you've played in the U S with for the USA before, or just players you respect, there's chats going around every guy on that Rory Schultz award um, nomination. I reached out to pretty much half, half of them. We talked about it like, Oh, congratulations. What are your plans? What do you think about this MLR draft? We're all talking. We all we all have ideas, and I think guys are excited. I think they like the opportunity that's coming out because um, you never know. Maybe you didn't get recognized coming out and that free trying to become a free agent and find the team that fits you, or trying to get someone to even take a look at you. Um, this puts you on an, almost an even playing field with all these other players coming out of college. So I think people are excited. Uh, I think people are happy to enter and you know just give it a shot i mean who knows
4: but i'm going to put you on the spot so again survey your options well there as as you're looking for the nine to distribute run pass or kick with this one will you enter and i know you're a junior will you enter the 2020 mlr draft
5: (laughs) uh i'll run with it um wow it's, it's 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 been tossed around um it's been tossed around and as of right now, I think I will enter into the 2020 MLR draft.
4: I think we got a scoop here, boys. This is perfect. <laughs>
5: but you know what? It's, it's,
3: I, I was hoping if you weren't going to answer, you were going to kick it to me because that, that would have been my point anyway. You have nothing to lose. You can you can be right. in the draft. You get drafted. If you don't mm-hmm. sign the contract, you're back with Cal Poly. And guess what? You can go back next year. So I think the way they, they've done these draft rules, the incentive for a junior to go in just to test the waters is there and not get hurt.
5: Same page. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking.
4: <laughs> I, for one, hope you're going to develop into one in the MLR and be something special that, we, that young players that were like you when they were three, four, and five developing and just starting to pick up a ball will look up to you and see you out on the pitch and want to emulate what you've done and what you've accomplished, not just as a, as a high school player, a college player, but then a player uh, competing uh, against some of the best, no Joe Peterson, um, you know, Tundai, et cetera, uh, in the MLR. So uh, good luck to you, uh, Patrick, uh, as, you, as you enter the draft. Uh, we all wish you well, uh, and we all wish you the best. And um, I certainly hope you'll, you'll come back as a player and join us. Uh, it would mean a lot to us.
5: No doubt. Thank you, guys. Love what you guys are doing. This is awesome. Awesome. Thank you
1: very much, and that was an amazing interview there with Rob and with Patrick Madden, of course, our feature guest for today. I think uh, we can definitely say that you are going to be one of the trendsetters for uh, for the MLR draft. I mean, you're pioneers in this generation of rugby in the the U.S., as uh, Rob so rightly pointed out. And uh, again, thank you very much, and guys, I hope that you enjoyed this. Of course, you can see this video on our YouTube channel. That is the Major League Rugby Rock. We'll have this posted and other videos like this every Sunday, so make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel for more details. Again, thank you very much.